This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. I'm an attorney who is retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant or expert witness as an author and producer of these videos. Today I'd like to speak about the hazards faced by an insurer that elects the equitable remedy of rescission and why the exercise of that equitable remedy must be used with care. Insurers should never assume that the promise to pay indemnity to an insured under a policy of insurance can, with impunity, be broken by advising the insured that the insurer has rescinded the policy. Rescission without sufficient evidence is wrongful. Rescission without the advice of competent counsel is a tactic fraught with peril. Rescission without a thorough investigation is dangerous. Where no valid ground for rescission exists, the threat or attempt to seek such relief can constitute a breach of the covenant of good faith and fair dealing, which is implied in every policy of insurance issued in the United States, and will expose the insurer to tort damages for that breach, including punitive or exemplary damages. One plaintiff's lawyer of my acquaintance became quite wealthy when he learned the claims people in a health insurance program were given a rubber stamp that said rescission and had no idea what it was, what was needed to prove rescission, or even how to spell the word rescission. Jurors, when they learned of this inadequate knowledge about rescission, were angered and punished the insured multiple times. The policyholder's lawyer, an excellent trial lawyer, would take the claims person's deposition and ask them to spell the word rescission. When the claims person failed, the bad faith case was established. When they spelled the word correctly, he would then ask the adjuster to state the elements necessary to effect a rescission. Almost none could answer appropriately. California rescission law may be draconian because it can be affected even with an innocent or unintentional misrepresentation of a material fact. It still makes it clear that if an insurer elects rescission without sufficient evidence, it will bring the wrath of the courts down on it. A failure of evidence will be the basis for allegations easily proven of extra-contractual torts. Now, this was stated in a case that I was involved in for many years called Imperial Casualty and Indemnity versus Sagamoni, a 1988 Court of Appeal decision, which put in a footnote the warning about the danger of a wrongful rescission 
while affirming the fact that Imperial had adequately, competently, and totally provided sufficient evidence to establish the correctness of its rescission. And Imperial eventually collected back from Mr. Sagamonian its attorney's fees, investigative costs, and all of the money it had advanced under a reservation of rights. If sufficient evidence exists, the rescission remedy will deprive the insured or the insurer of all rights under the policy. The court will conclude the contract never existed and neither party had any right under the contract. A recent example used by an insurer to prove the right to rescission in a California court dealt with the fact that the covenant of good faith and fair dealing applies equally to the person insured as it does to the insurer. In that case, a person applying for legal malpractice insurance was required by the covenant to honestly and thoroughly respond to all questions posed by the insurer in the application for insurance. By lying, by misrepresenting material facts on the application, the applicant deprives the insurer of the benefits of the agreement by causing insurance to be issued based upon a deception where had the truth been known, the policy would not have been issued at all or on the same terms and conditions. Therefore, in Berkeley Assurance Company versus the Law Office of David M. Wiseblood, a 2019 California Court of Appeal decision, Berkeley Assurance Company, a legal malpractice insurer, sought declaratory relief rescinding a malpractice policy issued to Wiseblood and his law firm on grounds of material misrepresentation by omission for failure to disclose in one situation circumstances that could reasonably expect it to result in malpractice lawsuit by a group of clients and in a second situation a case in which he had been sued for malpractice by a client and did not disclose it to the insurer. When the Levinson-Taylor trial case was eventually ripened into a lawsuit against Wiseblood, Berkeley provided a defense under several reservations of rights, and as new facts were discovered, it sued for declaratory relief to test its obligations under the policy. The trial court granted summary adjudication in favor of Berkeley, declaring the policy rescinded, and granted Berkeley an order requiring Wiseblood to reimburse attorney's fees and costs advanced for Wiseblood's defense. Wiseblood had represented Levinson Taylor in a case called Migdal versus Levinson over the course of about a year or more of litigation. Wiseblood repeatedly failed to provide adequate discovery responses, was assessed thousands of dollars in monetary sanctions by the court, and ultimately the court issued 
terminating sanctions against Levinson Taylor, meaning they lost the lawsuit just because the lawyer did not do his job. Six months later, after the terminating sanctions were issued, Wiseblood applied for malpractice coverage with Berkeley and did not disclose the Levinson-Taylor fiasco. Based on the false application statements, Berkeley issued its lawyer's professional liability policy to the law offices of David Wiseblood. Initially, when uh, RAF Enterprises sued in 2010, the plaintiffs requested dismissal of the case in 2011. In the course of invest investigating the accuracy of Weisblood's application for insurance, Berkeley discovered that in addition to failing to disclose the potential for a claim by Levins and Taylor, Weisblood also failed to disclose the RAF Enterprises action. Berkeley learned of the possibility of a malpractice claim against Weisblood, not from Weisblood, but from correspondence sent by counsel for Levinson Taylor demanding settlement of a previously undisclosed claim related to Weisblood's alleged professional negligence in handling the Migdal versus Levinson case. Wiseblood did not deny being aware of the circumstances that led to the filing of the Migdal malpractice action when he signed the insurance application in June of 2015 or that he was served with the RAF Enterprises action. Berkeley sued, seeking declaratory relief and rescission of the policy. Eventually, Berkeley moved for summary judgment and Wiseblood, in opposition, argued that the motion should be denied because the issue of materiality is generally a question of fact for a jury and presents a triable issue, therefore, in the motion. The court granted summary adjudication on the fourth cause of action and declared the policy rescinded. In addition, the trial court awarded Berkeley $57,459.12 in fees and costs incurred in the defense of the malpractice case, with limited reimbursement to fees and costs incurred prior to the filing of the summary judgment motion. The rule in insurance cases is that a material misrepresentation or concealment in an insurance application whether intentional or unintentional, in California and a few other states, entitles the insurer to rescind the insurance policy ab initio, that is, from its inception. Concealment, whether intentional or unintentional, entitles the injured party to rescind the policy of insurance. Berkeley submitted undisputed evidence of two omissions each of which justified rescission. There was no dispute that Wiseblood was served with and can therefore be charged with knowledge of the RAF Enterprises action. Disclosure was required on Wiseblood's insurance application, which asked how many professional liability claims or suits had been made against the applicant firm or any present lawyers at the applicant firm in the past five years. 
Second, Wiseblood failed to disclose material information about a potential professional liability claim arising from his representation in the Migdal matter. Wiseblood affirmatively refused to report the potential suit despite the fact that numerous adverse court orders that assess more than $10,000 in sanctions and a terminating sanction had been granted disposing of the case adversely to his client. Wiseblood argued at length that his omissions in response to the questions were at worst inadvertent, but to justify rescission, a misrepresentation or concealment in California need not be intentional. Consider L.A. Sound, USA v. St. Paul and Mitchell v. United National Insurance Company. The court concluded there could be no real argument about the materiality of the omissions proved up by Berkeley. Materiality is determined solely by the probable and reasonable effect which truthful answers would have had upon the insurer. The test is a subjective one. The critical question is the effect truthful answers would have had on the particular insurer. Berkeley submitted undisputed evidence that the disclosure of potential claims or suits is material to it in the underwriting of professional liability policies. According to the declaration of its underwriter, the nature and circumstances giving rise to a potential claim or suit affect whether Berkeley will increase the premium charged for the policy, change the policy terms, or reject the submission without a quote. Had Wiseblood's actions in Migdal versus Levinson been disclosed, the underwriter stated Berkeley would never have quoted a policy to Wiseblood and would have rejected the submission. The question on the application plainly set up an objective standard, not simply Wiseblood's subjective assessment of the likelihood of suit. From an objective standpoint, any experienced civil litigator would know that the attitude of a client or former client who has suffered a loss in court can quickly move from acceptance to recrimination, especially after consultation with independent counsel. According to Mr. Diamond, the underwriter's declaration, the declaration of one suit in Wiseblood's application caused Berkeley to insure at an increase in premium. From Mr. Diamond's declaration, a fair inference, indeed the only reasonable inference, was that the existence of and the allegations in the RAF Enterprises action were material information for Berkeley that would have affected the price it quoted on the policy at the very least and may have affected whether it submitted a quote at all. Although materiality is a question of fact, that does not mean it always presents a triable issue of fact. Where an insurer establishes based on admissible, undisputed evidence that only one reasonable conclusion may be drawn, 
the issue of materiality may be decided as a matter of law. The test of materiality is subjective, that the underwriter's declaration established without contradiction that the omitted RAF Enterprises action and the Migdal malpractice action were material, and that nothing in the underwriting guidelines cited by Wiseblood contradicted the Diamond Declaration, the trial court's order granting, granting summary adjudication on Berkeley's cause of action seeking rescission of the policy and its right to reimbursement of attorney's fees and costs incurred before the filing of the summary judgment motion. The judgment was reversed. The cause was remanded with directions to reopen the summary judgment proceedings for the limited purpose of allowing Berkeley to supplement and Wiseblood to contest the amount of reimbursement owed by Wiseblood as a result of the policy rescission. It takes a certain amount of chutzpah, Yiddish for more than unmitigated gall, to argue that in the face of such egregious facts, it is amazing the case went up in appeal. Attorney Wiseblood not only erred, nor was he innocently confused, he lied. He was served with a lawsuit before he signed the application that he did not report. His actions as described by the court was conduct that revealed the utmost bad faith in his application for insurance. He must pay Berkeley for the money it expended defending him under a reservation of rights, less the premium he actually paid. So in this case, with sufficient facts, there is no hazard in bringing a rescission action. Had the underwriter not been able to testify as to the materiality, Berkeley would have been in trouble. In this case, a lawyer who is expected to be truthful to courts as well as to his insurer failed, and as a result, his policy was rescinded from its inception, and he lost everything, and even had to pay money back to his insurer. This video was adapted from my book, Rescission of Insurance, Second Edition, which is available from Amazon.com as both a Kindle book or a paperback. If you found this video to be useful to you, please refer it to your colleagues. It's free. And if possible, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and my blog so that you can learn about future blog posts and future videos. Thank you for your attention.